1945, author and psychotherapist Viktor Frankl was released from Auschwitz concentration camp. And from there, he went on to write one of the most famous psychology books of all time called Man's Search for Meaning. If you're a reader, I would encourage you to read that book. It's fantastic. One of the things he he noticed when he was in his concentration camp for, for many, many years was that there were often two types of people that he was with and that he roomed with. There was about 40 men sleeping in a room of about, well, should have been about 15 people, but they were stacked in there. And every morning when, when the bell would go off and the guards would come into to all the shacks to wake up all the prisoners and get them working for the day, he said it often revealed two types of people, those who would just get up and be ready for the day regardless and at a moment's notice because they didn't want to be killed. But then there's also the types of people that every morning when the, when the bells would go off and the guards would come in, they would just lay in their bed and they would pull out a, a half-smoked cigarette from their pocket and just light it up and decide the day was going to be their last day. And they were going to stay in bed and they were going to enjoy that half bit of cigarette. And then they were going to walk off and probably be brought to a firing squad or a gas shower. But it was in that moment that Franco realized that every single day, When those bells would go off and the guards would come in and those few men would just lay in bed, he realized something was happening in their minds. That they had given up hope, and understandably so, being in a concentration camp, but they had given up hope and realized that, you know what, maybe their life had no more meaning. That if this was going to be the rest of their life, that if they were going to spend every single day starving and working and and sick, that there was nothing else worth it anymore. They just give up. But then there were the other types of men who every single morning, regardless of their situation, regardless of their circumstances or sickness or or starvation, they used every ounce of sweat and blood to get up and work for the day, obey the commands and live another day. And they realized that it wasn't always up to them whether they lived or not, but they were going to make the choice that they were going to make the conscious decision every day to get up. And he said the reason why many men made that choice is because they realized that even though life in their current situation was total and complete suffering, that they had families on the outside of those walls. Many of their families, their wives and kids were also in concentration camps. But the thing that kept them going was just the sliver of hope that maybe one day they'd be able to see their kids again. Maybe one day they'd be able to see their wives again. And what he writes about in this book is that those who chose to keep hope realized that they found meaning and purpose, even though the situation didn't call for it. That no matter what happened around them, they were going to choose for this, to live for this one singular meaning in their life. Their life had purpose. And that's something that the guards of of Auschwitz couldn't take from them. Now, as we've been talking about this body shop series, what we're really talking about is volunteering and serving both in the church and out of the church. And how I want to connect these ideas is this. I believe there is meaning and purpose and value in doing what God has called us to do in serving, not just in our church, but serving our community, serving our world. There are people in need today that need Christians to step up and serve. And I believe that when we step into our spiritual giftings that God has given us, when we step into the plan that God has for us and what he's, what he's wired us to really do, it opens up a whole new meaning for our lives. Now, I would never compare 
know, our lives to, to being in concentration camps. And that's actually something that Frankel talked about in his book, that many of us were not going through at least that dire of situations. We're not in a concentration camp, but many of us, we do face suffering on a consistent basis. I mean, our lives, everybody knows this, our lives are not perfect at all. And I think one of the questions that, that I've struggled with in my life, at least pretty consistently, is why am I here? Why do I exist in Cambridge, Minnesota in 2022? I'm one of those people that really struggles with the big existential questions in life, and it drives me crazy. But there's pretty consistently nights where I go to bed and I wonder, why in the world should I wake up tomorrow? And I question these things, but I believe what we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 12 today, has everything to do with this big looming question of why do we exist? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. But here's what Paul, what Paul says about being in what he calls the body of Christ. He says, just as, one, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all of, its part, all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Holy Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Holy Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not be for that reason that it would stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there's one body. Now, this is a very simple analogy. If you've never been to church before, you're not really familiar with church language, this body that he's talking about is not a real body. It's a metaphorical body, and we call it in church, we call it the body of Christ. And really what we're talking about is, if you take a human body, Jesus is the head because he's our leader, essentially. We follow Jesus. But every single one of us, if we're Christians, we have been given spiritual gifts, and based on our spiritual gifts, we become part of the body of Christ. This is where you hear like those KCIS phrases, like, be the hands and feet of Jesus. <laughs> That's, this is where that comes from. Those who love to serve people, I love making fun of KTS. Thank you for laughing. Those who, those who love to serve people just practically, you know, we have a, a, a team of women here who, when people get sick or when people die, we'll, we have a whole meal train that these women will, will, they make like 10 meals and they send them off to these families who are in need. They love to do that. They're the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm the preacher because I never shut up. Let's be honest. I always hear, bring it on home, Pastor, from, from Pastor John, which is funny. But we all have different gifts. And what's important about this is that no gift is better than the other. And, and Pastor Bill talked about this pretty well last week. But I want you to hear this. In the church of Corinth, there was a struggle. This is why Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians. There was this struggle because there were some people in this church who could speak in tongues. Now, if you don't know what tongues are, it's a heavenly prayer language, meaning you could just start praying and all of a sudden you pray in a different language that you don't even know. But you would start praying in this language and 
Maybe there'd be an interpreter in the room, but you're praying to God. It was this beautiful act of worship. In fact, we used to have a lady who's sitting right where you guys are sitting, who every worship set, she would sit quietly by herself and she would pray in tongues. And I'd be sitting there waiting to do announcements or preaching. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> it was random and it, it always threw me off a bit, but it was an amazing moment of she's using her spiritual gifting that God has given her. Now, we don't do that from stage here. Uh, we're a Baptist church. We have some different leanings, but we have different gifts within our body of Christ here at church. We have people who love to serve by making food. We have people who speak in tongues. I'm the preacher. But none of this makes us better than you because you have a different gift. And this happens all the time in churches. That's why I wanted to bring it up as an example. I want you to know that, yes, the church here, the local church, we have a leadership team. So there is a sort of org chart or a hierarchy within the church. But on a spiritual level, not one of us who preach... Bill, John, or myself. Not one of us see ourselves as better than you. And if you can speak in tongues because I can't, you can't see yourself better than me because we are all part of the body of Christ. There are so many intricate parts of God's church, but every single one of them has meaning and value. And this is what I think is crucial. When we realize that we are a part of this body of Christ, I believe it adds value to our lives. And I think statistically, men, we struggle with this the most. Now, women as well struggle with finding meaning in their lives. But statistically, many, many men struggle with this big existential question of why do I exist? This is why we have fatherless homes. This is why we have the majority of alcoholics are men. This is why men are really easy to spiral into depression. Even if we don't act like we're depressed, we can spiral into depression very fast. But a lot of it comes from this big question of, I need a purpose, and I don't know what my purpose is. But what Paul is speaking to us here is that you have a purpose. And the reason you have a purpose is because God has created you with a gift. Sure, you might still be a lawyer. I'm not saying that you have to leave your, your job and come work for the church. You might be a lawyer, and you might be a mechanic. Every single one of us has giftings that we use every day, whether it's for our jobs or for our families, but also giftings that we use within our church. A few weeks ago, uh, I had a friend who offered me his shop to fix my, my van. I had some brake calipers that were seizing up in the back, and I needed to replace them. Now, I am not a mechanic, so don't ask me. And after the story, I think that you would never ask me <laughs> to help fix your car. But I felt, I felt so bad. So he's got a nice shop. He's got like the nice floor jack that like you pump up, you get like three pumps and your, your car is off the ground. I've got that little one that comes with your minivan, right? So you put it under and it's like crank it like this. It takes 10 minutes to get one side up. It's exhausting. Then I got one of those old school tire irons and it's rusty. My lug nuts are rusty. So I'm trying to get my tire off. I got to hit it with a sledgehammer just to get to move first. And then I got to break my back to get over. But he's got all the air tools, like the air wrench. You can boom, it's off. It's amazing. So much faster. It's like, sweet. So I, I go use his garage because... It's going to turn a four-hour job with my tools probably into a two-hour job with his tools. But it was still a five-hour job. <laughs> and, and here's why. So we got the calipers off. Everything was going relatively smoothly. If you've worked on cars, you know that it does not ever go how you expect it to go. But the brake calipers, that's what squeezes your brake pads together so your car stops. So very, very important. One of mine was totally stuck, totally seized. The other one was going. So I was replacing them both. We do the whole job. Took way longer than expected. We put the tire back on, and it doesn't fit. 
And I'm like, I have never, in my six months of changing brakes, <laughs> I have never had a tire that won't fit. What's happening? Well, it turns out when I went to O'Reilly, there's two styles of brake calipers. There's one that has one for the double piston brakes and one for the single piston. I have the single piston. They sold me the ones with the double piston. So it was like a quarter inch too big, which is why our tire wouldn't fit. And I'm like, I've already been here like three and a half hours. I'm so sorry. He's leaving on an international trip in like three days. He has to get his family ready. I'm like, I don't know what else to say, man. I am sorry. <laughs> I feel awful. He's like, I'll run to the store. You take it to the bar again. We'll get this whole thing done. It took about two more hours, but we got the, got the tires back on. Everything was going great. But as we were putting everything back together, if you've worked on cars before, worked on brakes, there's these little brake clips. Aha! You already know where this is going. These things can be really easy or very, very finicky. But this little clip, it's tiny. It's like a quarter of a millimeter big. It is tiny, but it keeps your brake pads in one spot so they don't vibrate around like this. Now, if, if you don't have the clips, it'll vibrate, be really noisy. For the most part, you should be okay. Now, we have a lot of dirt roads around here, and I take a dirt road every day to work. So I'm driving the first day with new brakes. It's going great, but all I can hear is... Dum, 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 dum. Oh my gosh, the noise is driving me nuts. The next day, I'm driving to work, and it's grinding horribly. And I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> I should have put those clips in because I decided we're just going to leave the clips. It's taking too much time. I don't want to take any more of your time, so I didn't put them in. So I take it into Trucks and Toys right behind Culver's. They had it done within a couple hours. I was like, so what was the problem? He's like, you didn't put your clips in. I'm like, I know that was intentional, and here's why it was intentional. Don't laugh at me yet, right? And I was like, yeah, we just didn't have, it didn't have, ran out of time. They were so finicky. He's like, yeah, they can be finicky, but you need them. I was like, aren't they just for vibration? He's like, yeah. But if you get rid of the vibration, it keeps all your nuts and bolts in place. If you have a lot of vibration, it can loosen your bolts. I'm like, oh. So the whole caliper had been falling off for the last couple days, and that's why I had been grinding. I didn't have a brake on the left side of my vehicle. It was just grinding. I'm like, I feel like a moron. <laughs> so like I said, don't ask me to do your brakes. <laughs> and my pride almost kept me from sharing that story because I know how to do it. But yeah, anyways. But these little clips, what I realized, there's so many more parts to your brake system than you might even think. Whenever I thought of brakes, I'm like, oh, you just need brake pads. But no, you need these clips. You need fluid. There's so many parts that come with it. And what I realized in this process is just how valuable these are and just how much meaning and purpose these little clips actually have. And this is what it means for us. Every single one of us, if we are a Christian, the Apostle Paul just taught us that we form the body of Christ. Yes, we are individuals. Many of us are different. We have our own DNA. We have our own social security numbers. We're individuals. We're different. At the same time, biblically speaking, when you become a Christian, you form into the body of Christ. You are with the family of believers. And you can now use your giftings to bring meaning and purpose to your life. This is why I believe that when we talk about serving here at church, it is so much more than just serving for the sake of serving. Like when you serve, if you serve in Hope Kids, many of you do, thank you so much. It means so much more. You're not a babysitter. 
I want you to hear it. You're not a babysitter. Sometimes it feels like that because the kids can be crazy, but you're not a babysitter. Pastor John, I, I missed his announcements this service, but at least first service, he talked about how some of the most influential people in his life and who he's thankful for are the people that taught his Sunday school classes. And he's still friends with them today. This is very meaningful stuff that we're doing here, whether we're serving in the church or outside of it. What you're doing is not serving for the sake of serving. What you're doing is you're glorifying God and you're serving one another just as Jesus would do. That's the key. Just as Jesus would do. Who was Jesus? He's the son of God, came down from his throne in heaven. And what did he do? Come down and put on a purple robe and ask everybody to bow down at his feet? No, he lived in poverty. He didn't even have his own home, but he wandered all throughout Israel, preaching the gospel, healing people. His entire life was devoted to other people. So serving and using your gifting, I believe it brings a whole new meaning to your life. And it's like this. Many of you are parents. I see a lot of kids in the room, which is fantastic. Kids are a blessing. I have two babies. My oldest daughter's four. My newest daughter, newest, youngest, um, is three months. We got Israel and India. They're beautiful. When we found out we were pregnant back in, I think it was 2017, because she was born in 2018, everything changed. And you know how this goes, probably, if you're a parent. We sold our two little crappy commuter cars that would have gotten smashed if a, a wood tick had ran into it. They were tiny. <laughs> and we bought a minivan. Why? Safer, good gas mileage, tons of space. We're growing up, right? We're getting our stuff together. We got our 401ks all set up. I got life insurance. We got a will. You do this when you become a parent because you realize life is not about you anymore. You've got people to take care of. You've got a little tiny human being. You've got to help survive. But more than that, I bet every single one of you parents, you can remember the first time that you held your baby. Whether you're in a hospital room or maybe you're on the side of the road because you didn't quite make it. You remember that moment where you held your baby for the first time and your entire world opened up. And you realized, life is not about me. And all of a sudden, you have a new meaning and a new purpose to your life. And you're done with the self-indulgence. You're done with how you were living. Now you're going to live for this kid and you would do anything for your babies. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> My kids brought a whole new meaning. And I think that this is exactly what it's like between us and God. And us and our relationship with the church. When we put our spiritual gifts into action and we start living out the plan that God has for our lives and what he wants us to do with our giftings, when we start preaching, when we start praying, when we start being in the hands of Jesus and making food to give to people who are in need, whatever it is, we are living within the meaning and the purpose of our own lives. And this is crucial to know. Now, there's an author Carl Truman, who is a, a Christian professor and author out in Pennsylvania, um, and he has an English accent from England, so he, you know he's really smart, um, but he wrote a book called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self, and what he's talking about is modern people in 2022 and just how differently that we think based on people 100 years ago, even 200 years ago. Now, there's this concept that's been talked about over the last about 40 years or so since the 1980s, 
called Expressive Individualism. And this is like the main core part of his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Expressive Individualism. I know that's a mouthful to say, but here's essentially what it is. If you want to live an authentic, real, and your best life, then you have to align your entire life. Everything that you do should be based on feeding your desires. Whatever your heart desires, run after it, go get it. In fact, here's what expressive individualism says. It says, you would be an immoral person if you didn't do what your heart desired. It's basically summing up the entire core value of Disney, right? Follow your heart. Any Disney, any Disney movie you watch, is follow your heart, do what you want to do, live your truth, be you, and what should society do? We should all applaud you in the process. Now, at face value, it's like, well, well, what's wrong with this? But I'll give you a personal example from my own life. A couple years ago, I used to drink about three, four Mountain Dews every single day. And I would stop at Super America, right in town here, and I would get two white icing donuts with sprinkles. Why? Because my heart desires sugar. So does my mouth. Now, I had people in the office, like, giving me crap all the time, like, geez, like, good thing, at the time I was, like, 25, they're like, good thing you're young, that'll catch up to you, and it did. I know this is TMI, but I was going to the bathroom, like, six times before lunch every day. I'm like, I think I'm getting diabetes. (laughs) This is not good. So I've made a drastic change, but my heart, I desired donuts and Mountain Dew all the time. And what did, according to expressive individualism, what's your job? Applaud me for it. Say, you do you. That's so awesome. Who cares about your teeth and your stomach and your diabetes? Just, I don't have diabetes, but you do you. That's, that's fantastic. This is actually how our culture functions today, where if you don't applaud somebody for just living out their desires, then you're against them. And it's like, I'm not against you. I'm against your donuts. You got to stop. You're killing yourself. See what our society kind of functions or how our society kind of functions nowadays is in this expressive individualism mode where we are all individuals and we are all meant to just live how our heart desires and you can't tell me what to do. In fact, you should just applaud me. But it's all about the individual. And yes, you have your own DNA. I understand that. You have your own social security number. I understand that. But I want you to go back to the Bible because I want your thinking I want the way that your mind works to be biblical and not cultural. So here's what the Bible says in Genesis 1:27. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I love the poetry language there where it keeps re- repeating, he created them. The reason it does that. The reason the Hebrew author wanted to repeat this and write it in this form is because he wanted to burn it in our brains that you are not your own. You have a creator. You have a maker. You have a God. And yes, you're an individual. You're unique. You're a flower, whatever. You're unique. I get it. At the same time, if we connect this truth with what the Apostle Paul is teaching us about spiritual giftings in the body of Christ, we have to understand that as a church, we are not a bunch of individuals that kind of gather in a room and worship for one hour a week. We are a family. We're a body of Christ. We function together. And when we live in this reality, we start to find meaning and purpose in our lives. 
Just like Viktor Frankl realized as he was in the concentration camp that there was something to live for. Every single day, we realize God has a plan and a purpose for us. He has given me the gift to preach. He has given me the gift to pray. He has given me the gift to cook. So I'm going to wake up every single day and I'm going to serve God's people. I'm going to glorify God with my gifts, but I'm going to serve God's people because he has given me this plan, this purpose, and this gifting. Every single one of us in this room, God has a plan for you. He has given you a spiritual gift if you're following him. Our job as believers now is to step into that life, step into that reality. Yes, you're an individual, but you are a part of this body of Christ. There's so much meaning, so much value that comes from that. I want you to know that God loves you so much. He is so for you that he has put you into a community, a community of believers that's meant to live and to glorify God together. And I think that this is such a unique time. You know, it seems like every single day, I've been off social media for like two months, which has been amazing, but it's like every single day, I feel like there's a new crisis. And really what I think, I was talking to Pastor John this morning in our prayer room before, the, before church, like this is an amazing time for us to realize as a church that the world needs Jesus. And I think that that's all the time but it's never, at least in my lifetime, it's never been like more clear right now. Here's a, a specific example. But a month ago, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I am of the camp that I believe the Bible, I believe that God is absolutely pro-life. Um, abortion is not right. And there's circumstances for ectopic pregnancies. I want to be very sensitive about that. But in a general sense, abortion is not the way of Jesus. But this is a moment where many, many Christians are celebrating because it's an opportunity where abortion in many states could be outlawed, which I think as a general idea is a fantastic and biblical thing. I think it's ultimately what God wants. Here is where we need to be careful. There are so many single hurting women right now that we need to recognize as a church, celebrate that abortion could be going down, but also it is our time to step up and use the gifts that we have to come around single moms or moms who are struggling financially or whatever the situation is, come around them as the church and say, here's my money, I can help you or whatever we can do. But as Christians, it's our job to step up in cultural moments like this to say we are gonna serve no matter what people are going through, we are gonna be just like Jesus. We are gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're gonna be the body of Christ, and we are going to serve people who are in need. This is our moment to, yes, celebrate, but also the perfect time to start acting, to start getting our feet dirty, start getting our hands dirty, saying, what can we do for moms who are going through situations like this? And this is why I want to, I want to call us to, whether, it's, whether we're called to serve in the church, we have tables out in our lobby, if you're interested in serving in any area around church, we would love for you to start that today. But also, this is not just about New Hope. This is about serving outside of our church as well. And I think it's a perfect example or a perfect time to highlight the Pregnancy Resource Center. Or just anywhere in general. But I believe as Christians, as Christ followers, we need to be using our spiritual giftings. Whether it's donating money or spending four hours a week we have been given this opportunity. We have been given this purpose. God has called us to use our giftings. And so let's be a people 
who are not only following Jesus, but who are putting that into action. Serving our church, serving our neighbors, serving our community. I think a good question to end with right now is this. If Jesus was you, what would he be doing? You know, for me, if Jesus was a 29-year-old man with two kids living in Cambridge, Minnesota, right behind Walmart, how would he be serving his wife? How would he be serving his kid? Kids? How, okay. How would he be serving his neighborhood, his community, and his church? If Jesus were you, what would he be doing? Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you and we come before you, God, is recognizing that you are, you are holy, you are righteous, and we do not deserve to be in your presence. And yet, because you are so loving and so merciful, God, you allow us to be in a relationship with you. And so, God, we come before you thankful for your grace and your mercy over our lives. And I pray today we can make a stand in our own lives and say, God, today... My life is going to be about glorifying you and serving your people, just as Jesus did. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would reveal to us what our giftings are and how we can use them. Remind us, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose and a meaning for our lives, that we don't have to wander through life not knowing what we're supposed to be doing, not knowing what we're waking up for. But God, you have a plan and purpose for us. I pray that you reveal that to us, whether it's through prayer or scripture or whatever it is, God, but I pray that we live out the purpose that you have for us. God, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. Amen.